Chapters 48 through 50 of History of Rome from the Earliest Times down to 476 A.D. by Robert F. Pennell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 48 Colonies The Calendar Religion Colonies were established by Rome throughout its whole history. They were intended to keep in check a conquered people, and also to repress hostile incursions. Many were founded to provide for veteran soldiers, a practice which was begun by Sulla and continued under the emperors. No colony was established without a lex, plebiscitum, or senatus consultum. Religious ceremonies always accompanied their foundation, and the anniversary was observed. The colonies were divided into two classes, namely Roman and Latin or military. Members of the former class had all the rights of Roman citizens. Those of the latter could not vote in the Comitia at Rome. The Latini, who were once Roman citizens and who always felt equal to them, were uneasy in their subordinate position. But by the Julian law, passed in 90 B.C., they acquired the right of voting at Rome and were placed on the same footing as Roman colonists. THE CALENDAR The Roman year began with March. There were twelve months, and each month had three divisions. The Calends, Nones, and Ides. The Calends fell on the first of the month the nones on the 7th of March, May, July, and October, and other months on the 5th. The Ides came eight days after the nones. If an event happened on these divisions, it was said to occur on the calends, nones, or Ides of the month. If it happened between any of these divisions, it was said to occur so many days before the division, following the event. The year was reckoned from the foundation of the city, 753 B.C., and often the names of the consuls of that year were added. Religion The Romans were religious, and had numerous gods and goddesses. Jupiter and Juno, the god and goddess of light. Saturn, the god of seed sowing. Tellus the goddess of the nourishing earth. Ceres, the goddess of growth. Consus and Ops, who presided over the harvest. Pales, the god of the flocks. And Lupercus, the god of fertility. Various festivals were celebrated in honor of these, as the Saturnalia in December, the Talilia, Tellus, Cerealia, Ceres, and Palilia, Pales, in April, and the Lupercalia, in February. Vesta was the goddess of the house, and as every family had an altar erected for her worship, so the state, as a combination of families, had a common altar to her in the temple of Vesta. In this temple were also worshipped the Penates and Lares, 
the Larrys were special guardians of private houses. Some protected fields and cities. Images of Larrys of diminutive size, clad often in dog-skins, were ranged along the hearth. The people honored them on the calends of May and other festival days by decking them with flowers and by offering them wine, incense, flour, and portions of their meals upon plates. The Penates were kept and worshipped only in the inmost chambers of houses and temples. Their statues, made of wax, wood, or ivory, were also kept in the inner hall. The priestesses of Vesta were six in number, and were called Vestal Virgins. When a Vestal was to be elected, the Pontifex Maximus chose twenty young girls from high families. Of these, one was chosen by lot to fill the vacancy, and she was bound to serve for thirty years. The Vestals were preceded by a lictor when in public. They had private seats in the public shows, and had the power of delivering from punishment any condemned person they happened to meet. They wore white dresses and white fillets. Their chief duty was to keep the fire always burning on the hearth, focus publicus, in the temple. They could not marry. Flamines. The Flamines were priests devoted to the service of some particular god. There were fifteen, and they were chosen first in the Comitia Curieta, and afterwards, probably, in the Tributa. The most distinguished of all the Flamines was the Flamen Dialis, Jupiter. He had the right to a lictor, to the Sella Curulis, and to a seat in the Senate. If one in bonds took refuge in his house, the chains were at once removed. This priest, however, could not be away from the city a single night, and was forbidden to sleep out of his own bed for three consecutive nights. He was not allowed to mount a horse, or even to touch one, or to look upon an army outside of the city walls. The Salii. These were priests of Mars, twelve in number, and always chosen from the patricians. They celebrated the festival of Mars on the first of March, and for several successive days. The Augures. This body varied in number, from three in early times to sixteen in the time of Caesar. It was composed of men who were believed to interpret the will of the gods, and to declare whether the omens were favorable or otherwise. No public act of any kind could be performed, no election held, no law passed, no war waged without first consulting the omens. There was no appeal from the decision of the augurs, and hence their power was great. They held office for life, and were a close corporation, filling their own vacancies until 103 B.C. The Fediales. This was another body of priests, holding office for life, and numbering probably twenty, they were expected, whenever any dispute arose with other nations, to demand satisfaction, 
to determine whether hostilities should be begun, and to preside at any ratification of peace. End of chapter 48 Chapter 49 The Roman Army in Caesar's Time The Legio was composed of infantry, and, though larger, corresponded to our regiment. It was divided into ten cohorts, battalions, each cohort into three maniples, companies, and each maniple into two centuries, platoons. In theory, the number in each legion was six thousand, in practice about four thousand. The usual order of battle was to draw up each legion in three lines, Aces triplex, the first consisting of four cohorts, the second and third of three each. The defensive armor of the legionary soldier was a helmet of metal or leather, a shield, four feet by two and a half, greaves, and corslets of various material. The outer garment was a woolen blanket, fastened to the shoulders by a buckle. Higher officers wore a long purple cloak. The offensive armor was a short, straight, two-edged sword, gladius, about two feet long, worn by privates on the right side so as not to interfere with the shield, but on the left side by officers. The javelin, pylum, was a heavy wooden shaft with an iron head, the whole about seven feet long, and weighing fully ten pounds. All legionary soldiers were Roman citizens. The auxiliaries were hired or drafted troops, and were always light-armed. The cavalry in Caesar's time was made up of auxiliaries taken from the different provinces. The officers were, one, the imperator, or commander-in-chief, two, the legati, or staff officers, varying in number. Caesar had ten. 3. The quaestor, or quartermaster. 4. The tribuni militum, numbering six in each legion, and assisting the imperator in his duties. 5. The prefecti, who held various subordinate commands. 6. The centuriones, who were non-commissioned officers, and rose in rank for good service. There were sixty centurions in each legion, six in each cohort, and one in each century. They were promoted from the ranks, but rarely rose above centurion of the first rank. All the officers, except the centurions, came from either senatorial or equestrian families. The cohors praetoria was a body of picked troops that acted as bodyguard to the imperator. The standard, signum, of the legion was an eagle with outstretched wings, perched upon a pole. The Romans, when on the march, fortified their camp every night. They made it rectangular in shape, and threw up fortifications always in the same way. 
it was surrounded by a ditch and rampart. The legionary soldiers encamped next to the wall on the inside of the fortifications, thus surrounding the cavalry, the auxiliaries, the general, and his staff. The general's tent was called the Praetorium, and the entrance to the camp in front of his tent was called the Praetorian Gate. The opposite entrance was called the Decuman Gate. End of chapter 49 Chapter 50 Legendary Rome Aeneas, son of Anchises, and Venus, fled from Troy after its capture by the Greeks, 1184, and came to Italy. He was accompanied by his son, Aeolus, and a number of brave followers. Latinus, who was king of the district where Aeneas landed, received him kindly, and gave him his daughter, Lavinia, in marriage. Aeneas founded a city, which he named Lavinium in honor of his wife. After his death, Aeolus, also called Ascanius, became king. He founded on Mount Albanus a city, which he called Alba Longa, and to it transferred the capital. Here a number of kings ruled in succession, the last of whom was Silvius Procus, who left two sons, Numitor, the older, and Amulius. They divided the kingdom, the former choosing the property, the latter the crown. Numitor had two children, a son and a daughter. Amulius, fearing that they might aspire to the throne, murdered the son, and made the daughter, Rhea Silvia, a vestal virgin. This he did to prevent her marrying, for this was forbidden to vestal virgins. She, however, became pregnant by Mars, and had twin sons, whom she named Romulus and Remus. When Amulius was informed of this, he cast their mother into prison, and ordered the boys to be drowned in the Tiber. At this time, the river was swollen by rains, and had overflowed its banks. The boys were thrown into a shallow place, escaped drowning, and, the water subsiding, they were left on dry land. A she-wolf, hearing their cries, ran to them and suckled them. Faustulus, a shepherd who was nearby, seeing this, took the boys home and reared them. When they grew up and learned who they were, they killed Amulius and gave the kingdom to their grandfather Numitor. Then, 753, they founded a city on Mount Palatinus, which they called Rome, after Romulus. While they were building a wall around this city, Remus was killed in a quarrel with his brother. Romulus, first king of Rome, ruled for thirty-seven years, 753 through 716. He found the city needed inhabitants, and to increase their number, he opened an asylum to which many refugees fled. But wives were needed. To supply this want, he celebrated games and invited the neighboring people, the Sabines, to attend the sports. 
when all were engaged in looking on, the Romans suddenly made a rush and seized the Sabine virgins. This bold robbery caused a war, which finally ended in a compromise in a sharing of the city with the Sabines. Romulus then chose one hundred senators, whom he called Patres. He also divided the people into thirty wards. In the thirty-seventh year of his reign, he disappeared and was believed to have been taken up into heaven. One year followed without any king, and then Numa Pompilius, 716 through 673, a Sabine from Cures, was chosen. He was a good man and a great lawgiver. Many sacred rites were instituted by him to civilize his barbarous subjects. He reformed the calendar and built a temple to the god Janus. Tullus Hostilius, 673 through 641, succeeded him. His reign was noted for the fall of Alba Longa. Then came Ancus Marcius, 640 through 616, the grandson of Numa. He was a good ruler and popular. He conquered the Latins, enlarged the city, and built new walls around it. He was the first to build a prison and to bridge the Tiber. Footnote, this bridge was called the Pons Sublicius, that is, a bridge resting on piles. He also founded a city at its mouth, which he called Ostia. The next three kings were of Etruscan origin, Lucius Tarquinius Priscus, 616-578, through 578, went to Rome first during the reign of Ancus, and becoming a favorite of his, was appointed guardian of his sons. After the death of Ancus, he wrested the government from them and became king himself. He increased the senators to two hundred, carried on many wars successfully, and thus enlarged the territory of the city. He built the Cloaca Maxima, or Great Sewer, which is used today. Tarquin also began the temple of Jupiter Capitolinus on the Capitoline Hill. He was killed in the thirty-eighth year of his reign by the sons of Ancus, from whom he had snatched the kingdom. His successor was his son-in-law Servius Tullius, 578-534, through who enlarged the city still more, built a temple to Diana, and took a census of the people. It was found that the city and suburbs contained 83,000 souls. Servius was killed by his daughter Tullia, and her husband, Tarquinius Superbus, son of Priscus. Tarquinius Superbus succeeded to the throne, 534 through 510. He was energetic in war, and conquered many neighboring places, among which was Ardia, a city of the Rutuli. He finished the temple of Jupiter, begun by his father. He also obtained the Sibylline books. A woman from Cumae, a Greek colony, came to him, and offered for sale nine books of oracles and prophecies, but the price seemed exorbitant. 
and he refused to purchase them. The Sibyl then burned three, and returning, asked the same price for the remaining six. The king again refused. She burned three more, and obtained from the monarch for her last three the original price. These books were preserved in the capital and held in great respect. They were destroyed with the temple by fire on July 6, 83. Two men had charge of them, who were called Duoviri Sacrorum. The worship of the Greek deities Apollo and Latona, among others, was introduced through these books. In 510, a conspiracy was formed against Tarquin, by Brutus, Collatinus, and others, and the gates of the city were closed against him. Footnote. The cause of the conspiracy was the violence offered by Sextus, Tarquin's son, to Lucretia, wife of Collatinus. Unable to bear the humiliation, she killed herself in the presence of her family, having first appealed to them to avenge her wrongs. A republic was then formed, with two consuls at the head of the government. Tarquin made three attempts to recover his power at Rome, all unsuccessful. Footnote. The victory of Lake Regillus, which has been painted by Macaulay in glowing colors, was gained over Tarquin in 509. In the last attempt, 508, he was assisted by Porsena, king of the Etruscans. They advanced against the city from the north, Horatius Cocles, a brave young man, alone defended the bridge. Pans Sublicius, over the Tiber, until it was torn down behind him. He then swam the river in safety to his friends. Footnote. See Macaulay's Lays of Ancient Rome. During the siege of the city, Quintus Mucius Scaevola, a courageous youth, stole into the camp of the enemy with the intention of killing King Porsena, but by mistake killed his secretary instead. He was seized and carried to Porsena, who tried to frighten him by threats of burning. Instead of replying, Scaevola held his right hand on the burning altar until it was consumed. The king, admiring this heroic act, pardoned him. Out of gratitude, Scaevola told the king that three hundred other men, as brave as himself, had sworn to kill him. Porsena was so alarmed that he made peace, and withdrew from the city. Mucius received his name, Scaevola, left-handed, on account of this loss of his right hand. Tarquin went to Tusculum, where he spent the rest of his days in retirement. In 494, the plebeians at Rome rebelled because they were exhausted by taxes and military service. A large part of them left the city and crossed the Anio to a mountain, Mons Sasser, nearby. The Senate sent Menenius Agrippa to treat with them. By his exertions, Footnote, Menenius is said to have related for them the famous fable of the belly and members. The people were induced to return to the city, and for the first time were allowed 
to have officers chosen from their own ranks to represent their interests. These officers were called tribuni plebis. Two years later, 492, Gaius Marcius, one of the patricians, met and defeated the Volsci, a neighboring tribe at Corioli. For this he received the name of Coriolanus. During a famine, he advised that grain should not be distributed to the plebeians unless they relinquished their right to choose the tribuni plebis. For this he was banished. Having obtained command of a Volscian army, he marched against Rome and came within five miles of the city. Here he was met by a deputation of his own citizens who begged him to spare the city. He refused, but when his wife and mother added their tears, he was induced to withdraw the army. He was afterwards killed by the Volscians as a traitor. Footnote. See Shakespeare's Coriolanus. After the expulsion of Tarquin, the Fabii were among the most distinguished men at Rome. There were three brothers, and for seven consecutive years one of them was consul. It looked as if the Fabian gens would get control of the government. The state took alarm, and the whole gens, numbering 306 males and 4,000 dependents, was driven from Rome. For two years they carried on war alone against the Veientes, but finally were surprised and slain, 477. One boy, Quintus Fabius Vibulanus, alone survived to preserve the name and gens of the Fabii. In 458 the Romans were hard-pressed by the Aequi. Their territory had been overrun, and their consuls, cut off in some defiles, were in imminent danger of destruction. Lucius Quinctus Cincinnatus was appointed dictator. He was one of the most noted Roman warriors of this period. The ambassadors sent to inform him of his appointment found him working with bare arms in his field. Cincinnatus told his wife to throw over him his mantle, that he might receive the messengers of the state with proper respect. Such was the simplicity of his character, and yet so deeply did he reverence authority. The Aequi could not withstand his vigorous campaign, but were obliged soon to surrender, and made to pass under the yoke as a sign of humiliation. The dictator enjoyed a well-earned triumph. In 451, one of the Decemviri, Appius Claudius, was captivated by the beauty of a patrician maiden, Virginia. Footnote, see Macaulay's Lays of Ancient Rome. A daughter of Lucius Virginius and the betrothed of Lucius Isilius, he formed with one of his tools an infamous plot to obtain possession of Virginia under pretense that she was a slave. When, in spite of all the efforts of the girl's father and lover, the December had, in his official capacity, adjudged her to be the slave of his tool, Virginius plunged a knife into his daughter's bosom, 
in presence of the people in the forum. The enraged populace compelled the decemviri to resign, and Appius, to escape worse punishment, put an end to his own life. Marcus Furius Camillus was a famous man of a little later period. He was called a second Romulus for his distinguished services. In 396, he captured Veii after a siege of ten years. On his return, he celebrated the most magnificent triumph yet seen at Rome. He was afterwards impeached for not having fairly divided the spoils obtained at Veii, and went into exile at Ardea. When Rome was besieged by the Gauls under Brennus, in 390, Camillus was recalled and made dictator. At the head of 40,000 men, he hastened to the city, raised the siege, and in the battle which followed, annihilated the Gauls. He was dictator five times, interrex three times, military tribune twice, and enjoyed four triumphs. He died at the advanced age of eighty-eight. Brennus was the famous leader of the Sinones, a tribe of Gauls, who invaded Italy about 390. He defeated the Romans at the river Allia, July 18, 390, and captured the city, except the capital, which he besieged for six months. During the siege he tried to surprise the garrison, but was repulsed by Manlius, who was awakened by the cackling of some geese. Peace was finally purchased by the Romans by the payment of a thousand pounds of gold. To increase the weight, Brennus is said to have thrown his sword on the scales. At this juncture, as the story runs, Camillus appeared with his troops, ordered the gold to be removed, saying that Rome must be ransomed with steel and not gold. In the battle which followed, the Gauls were defeated. End of chapter 50 End of section 20 End of History of Rome From the Earliest Times Down to 476 A.D. By Robert F. Pennell